What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Marvel Standom. And this time we have a real doozy because we aren't just talking Marvel Standom and what if. We're talking about Marvel Zombies, folks. And to help me do that this week, as usual, for all time and always, which takes on a whole nother meaning when we're talking about zombies, right? I have Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard and Den of Geek TV Editors Alec Bajalid and Katie Burt. Kirsty, why don't you tell us what happened in this very gruesome, very hungry kind of episode? In an Infinity War set episode 5, Hank Pym's mission to rescue his long-lost wife Janet goes awry when he discovers that she's contracted a quantum brain virus that has turned her into a zombie. Janet soon starts nibbling on humans upon her return and the world quickly descends into zombie chaos. Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, Hope Van Dyne, Bucky Barnes and some other MCU faves set out on a mission to find a cure at Camp Lehigh, where they discover Vision keeping a zombified Scarlet Witch at bay using procured humans. Things go from bad to worse when Wanda begins chowing down on the gang, but Peter, T'Challa and Scott Lang's head manage to escape to Wakanda, where a zombie version of Thanos is waiting to complete the Infinity Gauntlet. So that was a lot. Uh, where, where did everybody land on this one? This was a uh, this was a very different kind of episode. So uh, what did we all think? I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't think I've ever seen um, superhero zombies on screen before. So I'm always excited to see something new. You know, a lot of people talk about the early parts of the MCU as embracing different genres. And I think we don't talk about that as much, like, you know, heading into phase four. But that this reminded me of that, like a more extreme version, um, just what you can do when you you embrace, you know, you cross superhero fiction or superhero storytelling with a very well-worn genre and see what happens. So I thought this was this was really fun. Feels like every week one of us has a new favorite, um, and I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll stake my claim on this one as my new favorite. Uh, just to begin with, I mean, I love zombies. Uh, I'm one of the seven people that still watches The Walking Dead regularly. And I just like when this show really divorces itself from the main plot lines of an original, like, existing film. In this case, there, though this begins with Infinity War setup, with Bruce coming back to Earth, it really has absolutely no connective tissue after that. It is completely its own thing. Was that it's... a zombie pun, Alec? <laughs> connective, connective tissue? tissue? No, it wasn't, but I'll see how many other gross body horror puns I can make later. Speaking of puns, <laughs> Scott Lang was a delight in this episode. And I'm still, I just remain shocked at how many of the original voice actors do, like, sign up for this. Yeah, I really loved this episode. It was very much in the spirit of the Marvel Zombies comics. Um, I just thought it was great to see some of the more underrated and underused characters in the MCU having their time in the sun. Like, great to see Kurt, and I'm sure Katie was overjoyed to see Happy, too, doing his thing. Um, blam, blam. <laughs> everyone just got some great moments. I think there was... I've only had one gripe with the episode, otherwise I would say it's my favorite. I would just have liked it if one woman could have survived the zombie apocalypse. That's it, sorry. <laughs> That's all I've got. You asked for too much, Kirsty. <laughs> I like this. It was, um, you know, and I say this as somebody who's not a fan of the Marvel Zombies comic. Uh, I think this is another really cool example of Marvel Studios 
taking inspiration from a really beloved comic story of the era and making it better. You know, they did that with Civil War. And, you know, Civil War is a really bad comic, and the movie is great. I just wasn't really a fan of the Marvel Zombies comics. Um, I thought it was like a one-joke thing that was stretched to five issues and then became multiple five-issue miniseries. And, like, this was still pretty different from the comics, though, in that these are more like traditional kind of Walking Dead-style zombies, whereas the Marvel zombies of the comics version all kept their, you know, their intelligence and their personalities to some degree, even as they were consuming the entire world's population. So, um, you know, which, which adds to the horror, I think, you know, compared to when they're, uh, you know, really just like these mindless creatures that aren't in control of themselves, as we saw here. It was really nice to see something on Disney Plus, like leaning this far into, uh, you know, the grossness of zombie stuff. It's not something I really would have expected. I think it was a good time. I think it'll make for a good Halloween rewatch, too. The appeal of a good zombie story is always not necessarily about the zombies. It's about the survival aspect. I feel like you could get almost as interesting a story using paintball as, like, an environmental threat rather than zombies. Does that guy even go to this school? It's all just about seeing, like, the randomness of who is able to survive. Uh, and that's what I really liked about this episode, because, like, Peter Parker, Scott Lang's head, the cape, uh, Hope Van Dyne, Bruce Banner in his robe, it just makes such an interesting motley crew. And that's what I like about these what-if scenarios, is that they get people together that we don't often see. Yeah, I was so impressed with how they, were man they managed to make the Hope-Peter relationship so powerful in such a short period of time. You know, there are a few moments where characters that have established relationships with other characters in the MCU saw those characters, like, beheaded, cut in half, etc. Those zombified versions of their friends. And they just, like, made a quip about it, which is maybe how you would react. I don't know. But I was fine with it for one episode, especially because they did such a good job of, like, developing or showing, I guess, the the relationships between this between these, like, yeah, this motley crew of survivors, which is... Yeah, I agree, Alec. One of the best parts of zombie stories. I am going to make two enemies here with Alec and Katie. And it's that, um, you know how some people, uh, you know how there, there are some folks out there who don't particularly care for the MCU. And one of the things they always complain about is just like how quippy everything mm -hmm. is. Like everybody is just like super quippy. Like not only is everybody like quippy all the time, but like nobody ever actually laughs. You know what I mean? Like the audience mm -hmm. laughs, but like you never see anybody on screen actually laughing. Almost the first time ever, I'm like, like this is way too quippy. I'm sorry. I, I thought Happy was really grating, like blamming his way into oblivion. I found Scott Lang incredibly grating, quippy dad joke, dude. And it wasn't just like a few, it was endless. I was like, come on folks, let's get back to the, you know, to the zombie dismemberments, you know, can we, can we stay on track here? I mostly agree with you. And I think if this were more than one episode, it would have really bothered me. But it's, I don't agree with you as much with the Scott Lang situation because within the story, Scott Lang himself actually addressed that it was like his coping mechanism for how horrific the situation was. But yeah, it was, it was totally a little jarring. I'm actually here to partially agree with you, Mike, on uh, the quips. Not all of them, but 
Um, Scott Lang specifically I found a bit to be a bit too much in this episode and I don't know whether it's the the how distracting he was as a head in a jar or whether it was just because um, Paul Rudd is just such a whole vibe and like when you separate mm. him from his body like literally and in this case you know um, in live action like when it just doesn't quite work for me I don't know his whole shtick just didn't didn't work in this episode for me so I will agree with you on that no he is a big rating but I agree with Katie that it's his coping mechanism let him have it this is now the second episode that has been you know where where Ant-Man and Ant-Man lore is central to the episode and I think when we combine that with the fact that one of the stars of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was actually introduced in Loki. Um, I think it is really, really clear now just how important Marvel Studios feels that Scott and Hank and Hope are to the future of the MCU. And we should not at all sleep on Quantumania as something that is probably going to be the pivotal, the pivotal, uh, MCU movie of the next of the next couple years. I just feel like nothing like this happens by accident and the fact that they just keep centering these characters from, you know, what is ostensibly two of their least popular films um, you know, that can't be accidental. I take all of these characters a lot more seriously after having watched What If. The concept of a zombie Hank Pym when he bit Captain America, I think that was one of the most terrifying moments of this entire five episodes. Like, just the implications that... You're right, Mike. Like, this entire series is, like, the rehabilitation of the Ant-Man universe. Just the implications of people getting to go so tiny and so huge are so much more terrifying and interesting than I think um, even the Ant-Man movies themselves have established. I think, Chrissy, you mentioned this in your review at denofgeek.com. Um how like whatever the heck like captain america's plan was like <laughs> just seemed like he was like showed up and was like we can do it guys and immediately is felled <laughs> yeah gavin jasper another writer at denofgeek.com um <laughs> he mentioned it too and it, it just seemed like the worst plan in the world like what were they trying to do you know and now i'm imagining like you know, Spidey's helpful video about, you know, not wearing, you know, short sleeves and like proper hygiene and everything else. Like I'm just imagining a good chunk of the MCU civilians completely ignoring that. Like, you know, we're not going to be told what to do by a bunch of uh, freedom hating superheroes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so on down the line. I can't really fault Steve too much there. Like the guy was, the guy was doing what, you know, you would usually do against a conventional threat. And Sometimes it takes a while for, for the powers that be to realize that they're not dealing with a conventional threat. Yeah, it's an interesting issue to explore, especially perhaps in you know, the last year and a half or two years. Um, what happens when you, like, you only care about like, the people you love in your immediate social circle? And um, yeah, I think thinking about it in that context, it's interesting to see that theme woven into what if so, so strongly. I was going to ask all of you how you felt about the Vision and Wanda stuff in this episode. I love that they've established them as like the Romeo and Juliet of this universe. Just these star-crossed lovers always destined for ultimate tragedy. 
I feel like I used to love this trope so much when I was younger that people like love each other so much that they'll do literally anything. And the older I get, the more I'm just like, guys, you need to get your acts together. <laughs> I was kind of confused about how T'Challa ended up there because maybe maybe you guys understood this better than I did. Um, because I think like paired with um, Vision just kind of having an abrupt like change of heart about what he should do. I think you can read that as like, oh, he's actually asked to reflect on what he's been doing by these people who are his friends um, for the first time. But also it's like T'Challa's been there. And why did he bring T'Challa? Like, it seems like he could have just fed anyone to Wanda. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit weird because we've previously learned that T'Challa is quite the convincing person, you know, around the universe. So (laughs) the fact that he couldn't change Vision's mind seems really odd. I think the only reason that it's T'Challa here is because this is one of the few things that is taken directly from the comics, mm. uh, where there was a like a horrifying thing that happens in the original comics, where it's revealed that it's Hank Pym who is keeping T'Challa like alive, but it's like a zombified Hank Pym, and he's like keeping him alive like in storage and sedated so that he could just hack pieces off him and eat eat them himself and his rationale is he's like the smartest one of the zombies who's still around because like Reed Richards is gone and everything else so Hank's like you know if I don't eat regular human meat then my brain is going to deteriorate and I won't be smart enough to find a cure for this eventually. Mm. While there were still humans running around he had snatched T'Challa off the street and uh, and put him in storage but he was keeping him secret from everybody. Mm. So it's like I think they just wanted to keep that same image from the comics even though the whole rationale around it is pretty different. This just felt like something they wanted to nod to very directly for the folks who had read the comics. When when we get this line that T'Challa delivers that, you know, Chadwick Boseman delivers when he talks about like people living on past death where I was just like, "Ooh. That one that one hurt, but it's 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 nice to get another performance from him. I will say this, the animation style has really continued to grow on me. I was still a little unsure about it in episode one, except for some of the, uh, you know, except for some of the action sequences, but I thought the Doctor Strange episode was gorgeous in its final half, and this has moments like that too. The, the, the Spider-Man Homecoming costume just looks so good in animation, and Vision looked really cool too. It was just neat to see some of this stuff and some of the details they were able to bring out here. Yeah, the sequence of Hope carrying them across the like field of zombies I thought was really beautiful. Um, it was really well done just in terms of how they chose to show that, and it felt more reminiscent maybe of reading a comic. I'm, I love that you guys are warming up the animation because I always loved it. However, what was going on with Bruce Banner in this episode? <laughs> Do you think, like, Mark Ruffalo was in the studio and had, like, a gun to the animator's backs and was just whispering, younger, younger, <laughs> younger, in their ears? Potentially. That is not Bruce ba- That is not Mark Ruffalo or Bruce Banner circa Infinity War. It really seems like the animators had fun with uh, Bucky in the shower, at least. 
I will say also, it, the, maybe the unsung character hero for me of What If is not actually Happy Hogan, even though I do love him, but the Cloak of Levitation, which just continues to delight me. You know, we have Disney+. Plus. Marvel Studios has proven they have an awesome animation division. <laughs> A 15-minute Cloak of Levitation short would be amazing. You know, like kind of like a you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice style uh, fun thing. I'd be all for that. Was the um, uh, was this the first mention of Uncle Ben in the MCU too? I think it is. I think this is the first time they've actually said his name out loud. Yeah, I wasn't convinced Peter had an Uncle Ben. <laughs> so, I guess he does. Although he listed all these people he'd lost and then later is just like, I mean, May used to say that. I was like, she wasn't on your list of, like, people you're really sad died. <laughs> I mean, it's way better than the comics where the zombie Spider-Man is constantly lamenting the fact that he ate Aunt May and Mary Jane. <laughs> and Whoa. it's just like, yeah. And it's just, look, I just, I find that comic really tiresome. Like, really, really tiresome. And it's like a joke that comes up, like, three to five times in the course of the in the course of the story and it just that just it kind of tells you everything you need to know about marvel zombies it sounds like there's a lot more like explicit cannibalism in the comics <laughs> like i feel like they like which sounds weird when you're talking about it, they're both zombie stories but i feel like they kind of skated around that a little bit yeah in this i will say that the more recent um marvel zombies resurrection does peter parker a lot more justice he's very much the central figure of the zombie apocalypse and his story is really good in that and that's it for another episode of Marvel Standom. We will be back next week talking about everything the MCU multiverse has to offer. Make sure you hit that follow button. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. We are at Marvel Standom. We're also at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. Make sure you check out our web home of denofgeek.com. You can go straight to all of our Marvel coverage there at denofgeek.com slash Marvel. And did you know that we're on Spotify? You can listen to Marvel Standom if you don't want to look at us all day. Yes, you can. Make sure you follow us on, on Spotify as well. We'll be back next week talking about everything you want to know about 616 and beyond. Thanks for watching, folks. If you want my opinion, Nixon's only chance to defeat Travers is with filthy lies, dirty tricks, and good old Quaker thuggery. Hey!